It's good to be with you guys this morning, and uh, welcome. It's a little different this morning. Our challenge students are all on retreat, so we're missing the 40 or 50 of them. So that's why if the room feels a little bit empty, that's why. But it's really good to be together and and um, to be with you. And I hope that this morning is all that God wants it to be for you, and, and it connects with your heart, uh, your life, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, this week. So, last four weeks, I guess, leading up to today, we've been in this series called Camping on Rock Hill, and we're done camping now. So, we're we're done with that series. The, the, if you haven't been around, the, the reason I mention that is to say this, the intent of that series was for new people to kind of introduce our ministry culture and our congregation to you to try to give you at least a bird's eye view of the values and the practices and the ways of life that we're really aiming for here, the things that anchor us. And so I say that for this reason, uh, we welcome, we continue to welcome your questions about who we are. If you are new and you'd really like to know more about our community, what we're trying to do, there is no stupid questions. Every question is a good question, so I want you to feel the freedom to ask them. Uh, it can be to me or it can be to any of us that are around. We don't, we don't have a hierarchical ladder here. We, we kick the ladder to the ground, and uh, we are all stakeholders in this ministry. We play different roles, perhaps, in different times, but we all are invested in it. Uh, we don't have any secrets. Um, and so, uh, in t- at least in terms of who we are, what we're trying to do. So, um, well, also next week we're having what we call, I think Emily will probably announce this at the end, but, uh, we have what we call Common Sunday. Common Sunday we do every few months normally. And it's a time where rather than like me or someone else giving a sermon, we really hear from each other about, uh, what God's been doing in our lives. And because we've learned that often, God's directing us, not just like through preaching, but through this, the common word that we share and his just normal activity in our lives. And so we try to give space for that to really hear uh, from each other. So don't get nervous if you're new. We're not going to like call you out or put you on the spot. Uh, we try to generally, there, there may be quite a few questions that you could just respond to, but we generally try to do the back work. Before we come to help know who's going to share that day, so I hope you'll you'll can come uh, and experience that with us. Uh, also, I, I do want to make this announcement that again Emily will make, but because there's a few I just wanted to highlight today. As many of you know, we've been remodeling a new space that we have, not for Sunday morning, but for mainly training, and then we have an office there also. And uh, we've spent a lot of time and money on it, and it's done. And so we're having an open house for that. We call it the Common Place is what we've named it. And uh, we have an open house today at 2 or Tuesday night at 6.30, and Emily will give the address, I'm sure. And it's only it's kind of a come and go. In the middle of it, I'll give a 15-minute kind of vision talk about how we envision it, that fitting into what we're doing. So I think that talks, in case you're curious about that, 2.30 today and I think 7.15, it starts at 6.30, but the talk I give will be like at 7.15, I think. 
so 2.30 and 7.15. If you want to, like, be there when that happens. I won't just, I'm not just going to keep talking for 45 minutes. With one little talk, and then the rest of the time you can eat cookies. So, um, so we're done camping. We're going back to the desert where we were before we started camping. We're going back to this important backstory of God's people um, who are walking out of slavery into a new way of life, into freedom, not just political freedom, but freedom in a number of ways. And so we're going to jump back into that today. We're jumping back into the book of Exodus. People who are exiting their slavery, we're going to jump back where we left off in the 19th chapter the book of Exodus. So let me pray for us and just ask God to really speak to us uh, this morning. Lord, as we reconsider what it means to be free, what it means to be a people who are truly free, um, we we don't believe it sometimes. We, we really try to live in our old ways. And we get snapped awake and time to time that we... You've really called us into a life of freedom. So would you would you open that window again for us this morning? Help us to get a little glimpse. We're just taking this a little bit at a time, Lord. But I pray that that as we journey with this ancient people, we would be able to make connections between their story and ours, both individually and as a people. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Do what I can't do and inspire uh, envision, equip um, us in your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to visit. It's really, this is really a fantastic passage of scripture, kind of in in a uh, dramatic way that we're looking at today. It's a telling of God meets man in a way that is is unique to the Old Testament. In fact, this is the only instance in the Old Testament like this where the, where the gathered community, kind of like we're gathered, except there's a whole lot more of them, find themselves in a direct experience with God himself. It's really a fantastic experience. So we're this is found in Exodus 19. Before we jump into this passage, I want to do just a little, give me, give me three or four minutes to do a little bit of review where we've been in Exodus so far. Cause I, cause I think it's always important to remind ourselves where we've been. So I'm going to do that. We, in Exodus, we've seen a number of contrasts. That's been a key kind of theme is contrasting. First of all, we started with a contrast between a powerful king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and some individuals of no social importance whatsoever, two Hebrew midwives, who exercised tremendous grit and courage in the face of insurmountable odds. And that kind of introduced us into this contrast, Pharaoh, the midwives. We've seen a contrast of peoples, the Egyptians, a politically free people, who joined their pharaoh, their king, in oppressing this minority group, the Israelites. And then we've seen them, the Israelites, their survivors. And they're in increasing measure becoming inspired, beginning with like these two unimportant women, 
And they're beginning to get a vision for something beyond slavery. They're starting to mount courage. They're starting to actually believe that God might have more for them. And they're unknowingly beginning, like, catalyzing a world revolution. They have no idea that's what God's doing, that He's using them in that way. Then we, then we kind of like, uh, bury down in a contrast between God and a man. The man that God calls to lead this people out of slavery, Moses. Moses is a very interesting person. In some ways, he's a lot like us. Uh, Moses has an ego. He has a very strong ego. Sometimes his ego serves him very well. Leaders need strength of ego often. His ego is also a liability at times. Sometimes it's expressed in outburst, and he does really dumb things in the heat of the moment. But the contrast is with God's patience with Moses. God really stays with Moses. Even though for 40 years, at one point, Moses is kind of tucked away on the dark side of a mountain, tending sheep. But that 40 years isn't lost in God's economy. He's shaping Moses, staying with him. We begin to see in Moses as we've journeyed with him, both with his rescue from, from infanticide as a baby, we begin to see layers of development. In Moses' life. We'll continue to see that. We see a number of contrast in Moses himself. He's not really contrast. Maybe more Moses is conflicted. Uh, we can identify with that. Sometimes we're conflicted. We see sometimes Moses trying to take matters into his own hands. He doesn't know what to do. So he tries to fix things. Anybody identify with that one? And then we see other times where Moses is beginning to let go of that tendency. And he's starting to like hand over that I don't know what to do so I'll fix it tendency into the hands of God. But then we see him taking it right back like we do. We also see in Moses this pattern of on the one hand concealing his own brokenness, his own sin, his own shame. We see him hiding with it. And then we see other times him starting to let go of that too, like, can I be honest about my life? Can I bring that into God's light instead of trying to always cover it up? So we we begin to see in Moses, like, these same tendencies, right, in our own lives. And then there's the obvious contrast here of slavery and freedom. I mean, that's kind of the big meta-narrative that's running, that's the river that's running through this, and we're beginning to realize that this slavery versus freedom, there's a whole lot more to it than political going on. There's like a song being sung throughout the story. So we're journaling with these people, we're journeying with these people coming out of slavery, and we're beginning to see God do some amazing things like rescue them from death. Um, delivering them from slavery, setting them free, and now starting to be set apart of this people's be actually becoming a nation. They're becoming an entity. So we've been journeying with them, and we've been journeying with our God, the leader of this bunch, and that's not 
unimportant. We're beginning to see that it's not really Moses' strategy, his blueprint for getting out of Egypt that's guiding the people. It's actually God himself. God is leading them out. And he's proving himself to be trustworthy in that endeavor. Albeit surprising. For example, there is a short way out of Egypt into the land God had promised then. And then there's a long way. Guess which way they're taking. They're taking the way that doesn't make much sense. But that's how God's leading them. And he has reasons for doing it. Some of it we may not know. But we can be sure about this. As they're taking this long way, God is shaping them into maturity. They're becoming different than the people that left Egypt. We've also identified a context or a place for their being shaped. It's called desert. (laughs) Place is important to God. He uses place. He uses context. He uses community as a part of his shaping. As we're journeying with the Israelites, we're starting to see God's using a whole lot of different factors in their formation. Events, place, people, circumstance, whatever's going on, here's the constant. God is there. This I am God that he names himself is constantly there, and his purposes are prevailing. Things are actually moving forward, not the things that are overwhelming, like forces of nature that we see in Exodus, wind, fire, walls of water, Or powerful and intimidating rulers like Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't win. God's winning. Or opposing supernatural beings that we haven't talked much about, like the Egyptian gods. That the plagues of the Exodus were making fun of, kind of sticking their tongues out at them. Or technology's not winning either. Like chariots and weaponry. That was their technology. During the day. None of those things are winning. It is God. God is in charge. And he is doing immeasurably more than the people can see or even imagine. So we ended our time before we took a break to go camping to hear God make a profound statement about these people. He said this, out of, get this, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. In fact, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. That's a very important principle to grasp as we move forward. God God has a vision for this people. And it's much, much more than they see. So let's let's jump right into Exodus 19. We'll start with verse 9. It's where we left off uh, a month ago. God's talking to Moses. And um, why don't we stand for this? And uh, that you can has a double effect of letting you stretch your legs one, one time. Uh, and uh, let me read this to you. The Lord said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. By the way, what the people had said is that we will obey what God tells us to do. Now, we'll see about that, but that's what they had said. So, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. 
Today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, I will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you don't approach the mountain or touch even the foot of it. For whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. So after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. They washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. So on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning a storm cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Yeah. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. They're experiencing an earthquake. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And the voice of God answered him. You can have a seat. So, hopefully you're starting to get the impression that God is getting ready to do something pretty big. He really wants the people to be prepared. He's preparing Moses and the people For something very, very important. Now I want you to notice the opening words of God to Moses. Because in those opening words, we discover God's purpose for what he's telling them to do. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me. Get this, so the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. Interesting. God wants a 100% clarity on the part of the people's understanding that the source of what Moses is going to instruct them in is not his imagination. It's God Himself. God will be speaking to them. There must be no confusion about this. God sees. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you. I think there's a principle of spiritual leadership at play that we should pause and acknowledge. And here it is. The people of God need their leaders to hear from God. The people of God need their leaders to hear from God. In fact, I think we could make the case that this more than anything else characterizes the authentic spiritual leader. That he or she is hearing from God. This is the central source of a leader's authority. To lead is not about the position she holds, or his past history, or a compelling leadership personality, or having wonderful insights, or strong communication, or leadership skills. Spiritual authority comes from within. This is why the people were amazed at Jesus when He taught. 
It wasn't so much that he was smarter than the scribes and the Pharisees, though he was, or more learned. It was that there was an intangible dimension to his teaching that set him apart. Spiritual authority comes from an abiding, conversant relationship with God. It comes from an ear attuned to hearing from God. This is what we see in Jesus. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about this to the leaders of his day who lacked spiritual authority. He says, the reason you're not hearing from God is that you don't belong to God. He who belongs to God will hear from God. Now, I'm not suggesting, don't get the wrong idea here, that even healthy spiritual leaders always hear perfectly from God. They don't. Nor am I suggesting that they always get it right. For they do not. But they do hear from God. They must hear from God. And as a community, we should expect nothing less than that. So when I prepare to speak to you on Sunday morning, or whoever's preparing, I must prepare not just by studying a passage of Scripture and working on how to communicate it clearly to you, persuasively to you. My preparation must be, must be drenched with a question. God, what do you have for us? What are you asking us to do? What do you want to say to us? And I must not just ask the question. I must listen. Anything less, and I have failed you. It's really that simple. This is where true spiritual authority comes from, to repeat. Out of relationship with God, anchored in Christ. A relationship that's listening, attending to the voice of God. I want to talk to our CLC coaches real briefly. I'm not sure how many, do we have some in the room. This is for you as well. This is not just for the person who's doing this. This is for our spiritual leaders in our congregation. CLC coaches, I especially want to say, as you lead your group, you must attune to the voice of God. You must bring yourself before Him with this, these kinds of questions. What do you have for our community? Our common life community. As we live out together in our smaller gathered and scattered communities, it's imperative imperative that the voice of God is shaping us. Again, it doesn't mean we'll always get it right. We're human. If the voice of God is not shaping us, then what is? It's either going to be our own imaginations, which will not bear fruit that will last, I'm not saying there's not a place for our own imaginations, but they work under and with the direction of God. Or, you know what? We'll just be making it up as we go. God help us not to do that. The voice of God is the stamp of authenticity of the Christian community. So, our leaders beginning with me, must cultivate a listening ear to the voice of God. We'll say it again. Our leaders, beginning with me, must cultivate a still, 
listening posture before God. Now I want to say this. We'll have a hard time hearing for God from God, leaders, all of us. We'll have a hard time hearing from God if we're called up in a life of hurry. I didn't say busy. I said hurry. Busy and hurry are not the same things. Busy is circumstantial. Hurry is a way of living. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's, this is nuanced, I know, but it's an important distinction. To eliminate busy from your life is probably not very realistic. Sometimes we just long to not be busy. Well, you live in the modern world. I doubt that's going to work out that well for you. Now, we all need breaks from busy. We all need it. In fact, God's already provided for a break from busy. You know what he calls it? You know it. Sabbath. Next week, we'll start looking at that instructions. For six days, he says, you should work. But on one day, you better not. You need not to. It's good for you not to. The other six days... Get busy. One day, no. That's the principle. You have to kind of work that out, what that looks like for you. But God knew what he was doing when he gave a Sabbath. Hurry is very different. You know what's possible? To not even be busy and be hurried. You know what I'm saying? Hurry in our lives is often the result of misaligned priorities. Or taking ourselves too seriously. Self-importance. It may reveal, if you feel like you're always hurried, it may reveal a lack of trust in God to provide for you, to guide you. You can learn to be busy but not hurried. I'm not saying you should never feel hurried. I don't think that's realistic. Life throws curveballs at us and sometimes you just kind of got to hurry through that thing. That doesn't mean you failed. It just means that's the way life is sometimes. It's okay. But hurry should not be your normal operating mode. If it is, something's amiss. Jesus was very busy. You think about the responsibilities he had. Don't think about it. It'll overwhelm you. But he's rarely hurried. Even when he's like doing something really important, like on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross... He lets himself get interrupted all over the place. He takes time out for people who weren't important. Spends time with them. He wasn't in a hurry. People tried to hurry him, but he didn't accept that. So how did he do it? Well, I'm just going to make a couple suggestions. I've already suggested Sabbath. If you're not Sabbathing, you need to Sabbath. You say, you don't understand my schedule. No, I don't. You need the Sabbath. You need to figure it out. A way to stop on a regular basis for your own well-being. You don't have to act religious all day. Just stop and rest. One of the other ways Jesus did is he practiced being still before God. He practiced it, being still before God. We frequently find him alone with his Father in conversation, in prayer. But we also frequently find him with his little cadre, with them being still. Being still is not just being by yourself. 
In fact, we're going to practice being still together. So Charity and Gil and Ben or whoever's coming up, you guys can come on up. Uh, we're, just, we're just doing this for our own well-being, our own sake. Uh, Charity's going to sing a song for us called Be Still, I think. That's what it's called. And don't sing. You probably don't know the words anyway. Just be still. And, and, and let her words just come over us. I'm going to sit with you. And um, we're just going to practice it for three or four minutes. And I'm giving you permission to not take notes. You know, just be still for the Lord. And then I'll come back up. So one of the one of the formations in my own life in learning to be still um, is when I, when I first started practicing this years ago. What usually happened is I just spent my time making lists of stuff I wanted to get done. You know, I'd get great ideas, to do list, and that that kind of stuff. And you know, there, there's a time for that, but but as time's gone on. I've learned that there's value, and this is this is especially relevant for maybe if you're wired like me and you're kind of an achiever. There's there's really value in the just learning to sit with God and finding satisfaction that you're his treasured possession. And he's really okay with you if you don't get stuff done. And you know what? He's really okay with you with the big thing you're working on right now if it fails. He's really okay with you. And so I'd encourage you as you begin or you're in the process of learning to be still with God is that you also cultivate this side of his. The reality is that he delights in you and is not just trying to get stuff done through you. He likes to get some stuff done through us, but there's more to it than that. There's a whole deeper layer so one of the other practices you can engage, I'll just mention briefly, to help you unhurry your life is solitude uh, and even silence. I don't know if you've ever practiced silence before. Um, about two or three hours is all I can stand. And then I start preaching to the squirrels. But it does help me just to really be quiet. Uh, I usually have to walk, a little tip for you, because if I... Sit and be silent. I don't have to tell you what happens with that. So, I like naps. Leaders, it's critical that you cultivate this heart, but this is for all of us. It's going to be difficult to hear from God if we don't learn to eliminate hurry out of our lives. Hurry and hearing from God don't mix well. God said, I'm coming to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking. And will always put their trust in you. These words weren't just for the leaders. They were from the community. God is respecting the dignity of the community. I want them to hear me speaking to you, Moses, so they'll put their trust in you. I want them to know, to have confidence that you are speaking. God's not doing this to make Moses a celebrity. That guy really hears from God. That's not what's going on here. He's doing this so the people can hear from God. It's not about Moses. God knows that trust is the capital of healthy leadership. People will not follow someone they don't trust. You shouldn't. 
Leaders who are listening for and to the voice of God rather than leading out their own imaginations. God wants the community to hear Him speaking to Moses. He wants the community to be confident that the source of Moses' leadership is God. So God says, I'm going to come down and speak to you, Moses, so you better get the people ready. God is doing something unusual, so get them ready. So He gives them a list of things to do. Do this. Consecrate them. We won't break that down without have time. Have them wash their clothes. Put limits for the people. Don't do this. Don't let them get on that mountain while I'm there. Don't let them even touch the foothills. Why is God so concerned about that? About getting on the mountain? It is not for Him. It's not for His sake. His concern is for the well-being of the people. This is a reminder of a little bit about who God is for the pervasive, like, holy, awe-filled, overwhelming person of God. God's saying, I'm coming personally to this mountain. He's saying the people, if they experience this directly, like they can't stand it, it'll overwhelm them, it'll consume them, it'll dominate them. God knows this. He says, hey, I'm coming in a cloud. I'm going to wrap myself in the cloud. I'm not going to fully reveal myself. To do this would be like maybe a butterfly flying into a flame. It won't make it. God knew that. A level of concealment was necessary. But he says they must prepare themselves for this. So as I've prepared this message, I've been like asking, God, is there something in that word about preparing yourself for the presence of God for us. And, and you know, perhaps I'll share you my insight. You may have others. You may have a better one. We gather weekly as a community like we're doing right now to worship and hear from God. So when I prepare, my preparation spiritually, like in terms of really this, what I'm talking about starts on Saturday night. And it's important for me that I begin like consciously bringing myself before God. Well, that's important because I'm bringing the message often. But I, but I pose to you, would some form of spiritual preparation be good for you before you come here on Sunday? Maybe some of you do it. Maybe time for quiet reflection, personal worship, maybe journaling, conversing with God. Um, families. Families, would this be something good for you to do together? Sharing breakfast together, praying together. Some of you may do this already. Next Sunday, we have common Sundays. If you have, if you have like practices, we'd love to hear from you. It'd be really helpful. So if you have a practice of preparation, of kind of spiritual preparation that you do, um, we'd like you to share that. You can contact, you got a slide for that, Jeremy, that announcement slide for, yeah, there's Jordan's email. He's, he kind of leads Common Sundays for us. You could contact him. We'd love to hear from you. You know, we prepare for what's important for us. Work. You prepare for work. You just don't walk out the door and say, better make my lunch. You know, you make it before. Or if you got to get a presentation to give. School. Test. You prepare. Uh, Holly, our daughter, just took her comprehensive Ph.D. program at KU. There's a lot of preparation that went into that. She prepared for it. Perhaps we need to consider ways to prepare ourselves to 
kind of come together in a meaningful way in God's presence. I'm going to close with this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, and a loud trumpet blast, and everyone trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it like fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Can you imagine this? Put yourself down there watching this. Thunder, lightning, this impressive storm cloud, a loud blast, fire, smoke, a quaking mountain. I mean, like all of nature is getting in on this. It's all reacting to the presence of God. Man, animal, and mountain are trembling. It's an awesome experience. It's full of mystery and mystique and majesty, all striking effects on the created world, the hearts of men. Everything that has breath is trembling. And this story brings us front and center before this pervasive holiness of God that we worship. And I think it's supposed to strike us towards trembling in His presence. And we, and we could camp out right there and it wouldn't be inappropriate, but as as I want to say this, this is the impression I want to leave on you, as incredible as this experience is, to imagine being at, or as, a, as a, uh, incredible, like sometimes a worship experience can be for us when we when we really are attuned to being in God's presence. That that's really an kind of an incomplete rendering of what being in relationship with God is about. Now, at the time of this experience, thirty five hundred years ago. This was as full of a revelation of God that was possible. You couldn't get better or bigger or like mightier than this. What's going on in Mount Sinai. It was as full of a revelation as people could stand or or maybe we should say survive. That is not the case now. Did you know this event, the story of God is, is recalled? recounted and revisited in the New Testament? It is. I want to close with it. It's, in, it's revisited in a sermon in the New Testament. We call that sermon the book of Hebrews. It was preached to a Roman house church. So I want you to listen. I want, I want you to listen to the contrast here. This is an amazing passage. So the first half is going to be looking back to this experience. The second half is he's going to do something different. Hebrews twelve eighteen to 24. For you have not come to that which can be touched, to burning fire, to darkness and gloom, to storm and loud trumpet blast and roaring words, which when heard the people begged that no more be given, for they could not bear what was commanded, that even if a wild animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. And that appearing was terrified 
the preacher preached, even for Moses. And now hear him, but you've come to the mountain of Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to a festive gathering of countless thousands of angels, the church of the firstborn, all who are registered in heaven, and to God the judge of everyone, and to righteous ones, spirits, who've been made complete, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. See, Moses was the mediator of the old. God said, they better know this is coming from me, Moses. You're speaking it. Now to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This terrifying atmosphere that characterized the watch yourself when you're around God. God manifesting Himself in a thick cloud on Mount Sinai. It's thrown into bold relief. It's been replaced by festive joy found in the new covenant of Jesus. Jesus, who's called elsewhere in this Hebrew sermon, the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of His being. Mount Sinai has been done away with. And now there is Jesus. Our perfect mediator. Before, that's the best we could get of God, Mount Sinai. That was appropriate. But now Jesus is. When you see Jesus, when you get Jesus, you get God now. You see God. Jesus is God. The distance that separated God and humanity has been obliterated by one who came in flesh. Who walked among men and women. Who touched and interacted with people who didn't belong. Unclean people. This distant God has come in love. With an unrestricted access. Even to people who aren't prepared. Who haven't prepared themselves. His presence. His kingdom is now what? At hand. Right there. Within reach. Grab it. His Holy Spirit. Lives in those who pledge their allegiance to Him. He's living in this person in this community blazing fire solemn darkness gloom has faded before the reality of the living God and joyful community you know there's this temptation with a passage just like like this you know Ben and I you know craft the sermon the worship service sometimes it's like hey let's create like a Mount Sinai thing you know let's like shake the room and blow a trumpet Put a cloud in here somehow if we can. Just get a smoke machine, you know. Let's do that. And uh, you know what? We don't have to do that. Now, is there a place for that kind of come? Yeah, there is. But, but like, that's not what being with God is only. It's countless angels, joyful community, boys and girls whose names have been permanently inscribed in the archives of heaven. It's dancing, not running for the hills. Righteous spirits who have no lack. They have been made complete in Christ. This isn't like mystical, superficial language. This is reality, this preacher is preaching. It's the reality of those who have aligned their lives with Jesus. 
who have trusted their lives to Him, who have placed their confidence, who've laid their ambitions at His feet, whose souls are finding their rest in Him. I close with this question. Is that your reality? If it is, then you join this festive community. Countless thousands of angels. Access to God, His kingdom at hand, His Spirit living in you. Not just on some distant mountain that scares the bejeebies out of you. That's life without Jesus. That, that's what that is. God, horrible, terrible, mighty, don't get too close. You'll run into the flame. Jesus came and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You can't come to God except through me. I am the living God. He said, trust me. I'll touch you. You don't have to be prepared. Just come to me. It's amazing, isn't it? This reality. If that's not your reality, I pray you'll pursue it. And I pray you'll come to place your confidence in that. Change your life. Let's pray. It'll be yours. Lord, Holy Spirit that lives in this place, in our hearts, in community, not because we prepared ourselves well or we were qualified, but because of your kindness to us. Would you be even more kind than you've ever been to us? Would you, would you work and draw us to you deeper? Maybe for some the first time they would see that the, the, not just the awesomeness of God, but the beauty of coming in Jesus in the open invitation. God, call us out into that. Each of us. Call us anew. Call us for the first time. Give us the courage to say yes to that. Give us the courage to lay aside the, not just the hurry of our lives, but the things we, the idols of our lives that we've given our affection to and our ambition to, the careers we're chasing and the degrees that we've defined our lives with and the brokenness and the shame that we've defined our lives with. God, give us grit to lay all that down before you and and say, I want a new identity. I want to be part of that company, that treasured possession, that kingdom of priests. Our, our heart longs for it. I believe every person in this room heart longs for that. Help us to see it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.